good morning. Wow, what a beautiful morning. We had a great sunrise service. Nice turnout. Good, everything was perfect. So, first of all, the best news of it all, he is risen. He is risen hallelujah, hallelujah for that. All right, well, let's pray then. Father, thank you again for this beautiful morning. Thank you, Father, that... Um, as I prayed earlier, that you gave us your gift in, uh, at Christmas. We celebrate that. And then your gift gave himself for us at Easter. And we praise you and thank you for that. Lord, how wonderful, how wonderful, how wonderful it is to know that our sins are forgiven. Lord, as we'll talk briefly this morning, during the Old Testament times, their sins were covered. But in the New Testament, Father, they're forgiven. In the Old Testament, Lord, they looked forward to the cross. We, in the New Testament, look back on the cross. So we thank you for those perspectives. Thank you for this morning, for your presence, Lord, and for what you're going to do because you always use your word. In Christ's name we pray, we pray, we pray. Amen.
Our Old Testament scripture today comes from Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. Look, I am creating new heavens and new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness, her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their homes or confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live <clears throat> as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they have even called to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. And if you'd like to stand as we say our Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you'll turn to 289 in your red book, Christ the Lord has risen today.
New Testament reading today comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and she looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today we celebrate the greatest gift, the resurrection of your Son, to show us that there is life after death, that there can be life with you if we follow his teachings. We know that you forgive us of our sins, Lord, and you ask us to share. You tell us, I trust you. Here are things I trust you with, but I also expect you to share with others, to reach out, to be disciples for me. So, Lord, as we do this collection today, we ask you to bless it, and may others come to know you as we have, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you again. Beautiful morning, beautiful morning. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Wow, Lord, to awaken today, to see the sunrise, and to realize that that symbolizes again and again the resurrection of your son. Thank you for the gift of the day. Um, like you said, it's the present. It's the present today, and it's the present you give to us. So we thank you for, again, another Easter. And Lord, some of us have celebrated many of them. And I trust for myself and for each one of us that it never becomes too passive, Lord, but that every Christmas, every Easter will be a special celebration for us as individuals, for us as a church, Lord. Thank you again for this morning. Thank you again for what this day symbolizes. Thank you again and again that your son conquered death and is alive. And we look forward to living forever with him. Lord, as your servant today, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve, to teach, Lord. Lord, how wonderful it is to be able to study and then, Father, to be able to teach. So we commit this time to you this morning. I could pray on and on, but, Lord, we must get on for the things of today. In Christ's name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, I have two readings here in front of you, and I have two pictures uh, rendering uh, artists' editions. They thought the Ark of the Covenant look like, which is at the top, and then the tabernacle that they erected at the bottom. And um, very important, both of these. In the Ark of the Covenant, you have the cherubim uh, over the Ark at the top, and then that spot right in the middle between the two angels, the seraphim, right, that spot right in the middle on top of the ark, that's the mercy seat. And that's where God told his people he would meet with them, right there at the mercy seat. I, I, I just, when I stop and think about it, it kind of takes my breath away to realize that that's where God was. Today, of course, he was everywhere then too, but today uh, he's not just there. He is everywhere and he is in our lives. And Lord, as I shared earlier this morning when I, when I taught children, and I would tell them where God is, and they would say, Mr. Jerry, where is God? And I would say to them, he's here, he's here, he's here. <laughs> he's everywhere. Then I would tell them about eternity. <laughs> and I would say, we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And they would say, Mr. Jerry, you can stop. And ever and ever, we're going to live forever. So we have two readings here. We're not going to read both of them, but make reference to both of them today. Leviticus chapter 16. And this is the New Living Testament, both the top one and the bottom one. And I, I quoted those. I, I don't teach from the New Living. I teach from the New American. Uh, I do. I had, uh, I've had uh, three years of Greek, believe it or not, two years at the University of Nebraska. And Dr. Aldrich was my teacher. My wife's going to smile when I say this. Dr. Aldrich was my Greek teacher. He taught what we call Koine Greek, which is common Greek, and that was how the New Testament was written. But I had it every single day, first thing in the morning, and there was no way of going unprepared because there was only three of us in the class. You always got called on. You always had to be prepared. And so I, uh, so I had to learn to read Greek and then... Also, I had classes in Hebrew, but uh, uh, it, it was demanding. But now I am so thankful, so thankful. And 
uh, I'm very careful that when I teach, I said I teach from the New Living, uh, from the Standard Bible, not from the New Living Translation, or paraphrase actually what it is. But uh, I don't read Greek proficiently, so. But there's just so many helps today that many of the seminaries don't even require that you take the original languages anymore. But there's something very special to actually read the exact words. And, and because I believe in verbal plenary, and what I mean by that, verbal inspiration, every single word, the it, the does, the ands, the sos, all of those, I believe in the uh, exact translations of the exact words from God. So the word the in the Greek came from God. God said the, and uh, the writer put it down. So, and when I say I believe in the verbal inspiration, I believe that every single word comes from God. And that's a bit old-fashioned today, but believed by many evangelical conservative churches. So I believe in uh, verbal inspiration. That's every single word. And then I say I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. That means plenary means every thought comes from God. So every word, every thought comes from God. I love that. To read, or to try to understand, I should say, the original text, and to realize that, you know, the the words are from God. They're from God. They're not man's ideas. They're not good fables. They're not good stories. They're from God. Sorry, I went off on the road there for a little while, but I get excited about it when I think about verbal plenary inspiration. So Leviticus, which is the top portion of the passage, 16, talks about the date of the atonement. Maybe you remember Audrey and Jim Litke, the elderly couple. They drove up here every Sunday from Benson. Now they both have gone to God. But uh, they were very faithful and drove up every Sunday. And um, I had shared a devotional one time about the fact that uh, uh, after the, and we'll talk about it today in a little more detail, that um, after the blood sacrifice had been made, and the blood, by the way, from the lamb that was cut was sprinkled right there Right, right on top of that table, right between those two angelic figures. And that was, as I said earlier, is the mercy seat, and that's where the blood offering was poured. And uh, that was the... And so the Jewish feast calendar, there are seven major feasts, four of them in the spring, and three of them in the fall. And we're in one of them right now, of course, especially this time of the year. So the fall feast, they began with the Feast of the Trumpets, and then we also call it Rosh Hashanah, and then that began the 10 Days of Repentance. That led up to the Day of Atonement, um, which I believe, if I have it correctly, is the... I don't know for sure now. I don't want to be quoted, but I think it's the 18th. But anyway, the, the Day of Atonement in the Leviticus 16 passage is called Yom Kippur. Let me read from a website on Judaism. I love the Jewish people very, very much. I've shared with you before, but I repeat it, that when I was a youth pastor at First Evangelical Free Church, known as Somerdale, on um, Ashland Avenue in Chicago, every year I would take the youth group to the synagogue, which was up in Glencoe, and uh, we would visit there on oh, the day of, of um, Rosh Hashanah. But from the website on Judaism, we read this. In the days of the temple in Jerusalem, the high priest conducted an elaborate sacrificial ceremony on Yom Kippur. Clothed in white linen, he successfully successfully confessed his own sins, 
the sins of the priests, the sins of the people, and then they entered the Holy of Holies. Now, if you look at that bottom picture, the Holy of Holies is that first place where you go in after the fire. You'll see there's uh, doorways there. You go into the Holy of Holies. And it was the only day that, that this was allowed, to sprinkle blood of a sacrifice and offer incense. The priest, Aaron, then sent a goat into the wilderness, the scapegoat it was called, where it was driven to its death or let loose in the wilderness to symbolically carry away the sins of Israel. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, centers around several animals. And the high priest's office, the high priest's responsibility was to speak to God on behalf of the people. In the Old Testament, the prophet's responsibility was on behalf of God to speak to the people. So the priest spoke to God on behalf of the people in the Old Testament. The prophet spoke to the people on behalf of God. You don't have verse 3 there. I didn't put that in, but uh, verse 3 says this in uh, Leviticus. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen, undergarments next to his body, basically his underclothing, underwear. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. When I was preparing this and reading about it, you're just, you're, you're caught up, people, and I want to convey that as best as I can to you. But you're caught up in the holiness of what's taking place. It's otherworldly. It's something different than the normal pace of life. It is something so sacred, so sacred, so special, so lifted up when they did this. The priests, they wore robes that had bells on it along the bottom of the hem. And wherever they went to do the worshiping and the sacrificing, you could hear the bells ringing. And this was so important to the people. They were on the outside watching and listening. They could hear the bells ringing. And they knew with the ringing of the bells that their priest was now coming to God on their behalf. They heard from the prophets, now it's the priest coming on their behalf. When the temple was built, uh, there, uh, there was not a sound of a chisel, never heard. All the carving had to be done in the quarry, and uh, the stones were then brought. I understand, and I read again this week, to this day we don't have, and I worked on construction, I know some of you have also, to this day we don't have machinery, listen, strong enough to move some of the temple, some of the stones that were dug up in the temple area. We don't have the equipment today. So you can imagine what they went through to get those massive stones not only to the location of the temple, but to get them put up on different levels. The people, they gathered after 10 days of weeping and fasting and denying themselves, soul searching so they could come before God and have their sins. And I wrote removed. <laughs> I crossed it out because their sins were covered. Why? Because in the Old Testament, folks, the people, they looked forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we look back on the cross. And so their sins were covered temporarily until the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then their sins could be removed. The high priest was going into the presence of God on their behalf. 
and you could hear the bells ringing from the robe that he was wearing. You knew. You knew that something very sacred was going on. We find accounts of people who describe what they saw. One of them is first-hand account of the high priest in action. Listen to this. It was an occasion of great amazement to us when we saw Eliezer engaged in his ministry and all the glorious investments, including the wearing of garments with precious stones upon them in which he is vested. There the priest's appearance makes one awestruck and dumbfounded. Man would think he had come out of this world into another. He goes on to say, I emphatically assert that every man who comes near the spectacle of what I have described will experience astonishment and amazement beyond words, his very being transformed by the hollowed arrangement on this very single detail. He's not just a priest. It's not just a sash. It's not just a robe. It's not just bells. It's the high priest going to God. Going to God to represent the people and to talk to God on our behalf. Verse 6 says, you have that Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin and to make atonement for himself and for his household. And then he's to go through a series of rituals. And folks, these rituals were so detailed, so minute, so very important, that if they made one mistake, they started all over again. Because this, the priest did this so he could go into the Holy of Holies. Verse 7, about the scapegoat. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and another for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented live before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. And so what the priest would do is that he put his hands on that goat, that scapegoat, and that's where we get the term today, and he would confess the sins of the people. And then not a Jew, but a Gentile, that's us, would take that goat out into the wilderness and would set it free. I, the, the movie, The Ten Commandments, was on again last night. It's very long, of course, so I didn't watch. We watched it until about 8, 8.30. But in there, they showed him taking that goat out into the wilderness and setting it free to wander in the wilderness. You didn't want that goat showed up in the neighborhood walking around later, three days later. No. They wanted him out there. They wanted him away. Because what is he? He represented the... Can you imagine being the Gentile, so tradition tells us, would take them out and let him go. And this goat had the sins of your neighbors, your sins. They set him free. Uh, you've been told in the past, I have taught in the past, is that the Eastern mind thinks in terms of pictures, metaphors. We think in terms of uh, definitions and concepts. When we think about the goat leaving the building, and Audrey, I just said it to you, I think Lidke would say to me once in a while, Pastor, remember the goat has left the building. We are educated by definitions, and when we think about a goat leaving the building, we would say something like this. I'll give you three points. I'll give you four insights. I'll give you two things to take home. But the Eastern mind doesn't say that. They think in terms of pictures, metaphors, and of an image. It goes like this. So instead of Jesus saying, God is forgiving, and I want to give you four reasons why, that's how I would talk, Jesus says, there's this man, he has two sons, and one son says, Dad, I want my inheritance before you die. I want to give you four points. Jesus wants to tell you a story. 
Then verse 20 says, when Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the temple and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head, confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people. Then a man especially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. And as the goat goes into the wilderness, it carries all the people's sin upon himself into desolate land. Sins of your neighbors and your sins. This Gentile. There was the red cord, which was symbolic of blood, judgment, and punishment. And it would be placed on the head of the goat. And the red cord would be symbolic of our sin. He placed his hands on that goat. This was a sacred time, powerful time. Sins are removed. The goat is gone. The goat has left the building. John 19, I don't have that text in front of you. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, which I have right here. This actually comes from the area close to where the cross was, they believe, where Jesus was crucified. And... uh, it touched this, you know, of course, that the thorns are very, very sharp. And this was placed upon his head. Not only that, but it was pressed down on his head. So it would cause him to bleed. And the blood was symbolic of the sacrifice and of life. They shouted when the text says, the crowd shouted. What did they shout? Crucify him? No. First they shouted, take him away. Then they shout, crucify him. And that's exactly what happened. They would take the goat away. One would be sacrificed. There's a fascinating tradition that comes in the Mishnah. When the red cord was placed on the goat, was taken off. Some believe that the red cord was hung on the front of the altar or the doorway going into the temple. I read somewhere that after the temple was, Solomon's temple was complete, 12,000 people were without jobs. Because that's how many had been working on that for so many years. Legend has it that over the next year, the red cord would mysteriously turn white. I love that. Witnesses interpreted that to mean God's supernatural ability to forgive their sins Roughly 40 years before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they say the red cord stopped. This is tradition, folks. The red cord stopped turning from red to white 40 years before 70 AD. Puts it at the time, 30 AD, about the time when Christ was sacrificed the cord stopped turning white. Why? Because Christ has made us holy forever. And back in those days, folks, it was year after year after year after year. But then when Christ did it, it was once for all. He paid the price. when we are reminded of our failures and our darknesses, maybe our message to the world is the goat has left the building. Someone reminds you and me to hold our failures against us and we can say, excuse me, I don't see the goat in the building. He's gone. You feel loaded down with shame and guilt? I got something to tell you. The goat is gone. The old is gone. The new has come. We have new life in Christ. Why, why are so many churches today, and I'm sorry, that's part of my background and some of yours too, is that why do the, the four churches then and now focus so much on the do's and the don'ts? It's because we lose who we are in Christ. All we have left is a bunch of rules and sin management. 
I don't like that phrase, but it's a catchy one. Sin management. That's what churches do. Stuart Briscoe, Milwaukee area, man that's a great teacher, asked now I'm sure, if this is what he says, if we taught people who they are in Christ, we probably wouldn't have to spend so much time telling them what not to do. God knows it, and I'm telling here to tell you this morning, folks, and I'm going to stop. The goat has left the building. Folks, he's gone. Here I am carrying this shame, this guilt around anymore. I'm not. Remember I used to teach you that it says our sins are buried in the depths of the deepest sea, and what kind of sign do you put up? No fishing allowed. You can't go back and dig up your old sins, folks. They're gone. I am so glad to tell you this Easter morning, I'm so glad to tell you this morning that the goat has left the building. Father, thank you, praise you, thank you, we adore you, we love you. What else can we say, Lord? What else? We, we're sitting on holy ground, Lord, because this is your place and we are your people and you are here. Father, I'm so moved in writing this and preparing this for this morning, Lord. So overcome. So thank you this morning, Lord. Not only are our sins buried in the depths of the deepest sea, not only as they are they removed as far as the east is west, but Father, they are buried in the depths of the deepest sea, and you put up a sign we're not allowed to fish. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for this morning and for this special Easter. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen. You are so great to teach. Thank you.
pray. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the rising of your Son from the grave, the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, we take a moment just in silence to remember all that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed.